Date of recording, the 29th of August, 2020. Song credit, Opportunity Walks by Kevin MacLeod. Welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Media with Vedant Akari. For today's episode, we're talking about working on Mrs. Maisel. And my guest for today is Elena De Lucia. Hey, Elena, welcome to the show. Hey, Vedant. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, so do you just want to introduce yourself and just tell us how you got to work on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Sure, yeah. So um, I am the assistant production coordinator there. Um, I went to Ithaca College, same as you. I was actually working on another show at the time that I got the interview. Uh, it was a great show and I, was, I really loved working there, but Maisel was kind of my dream job. So when I got the call for the interview, I went in and uh, I met my coordinator, Tim, who's my direct boss, and we got along immediately, like so well that people thought that we had known each other for years, which is so funny. And I just, I jumped at the opportunity and I, lo- and I love it. The crew is the best. It's, it's such a fun show to work on. So, yeah. Yeah, it seems like an, a really fun show to work on from what I've seen behind the scenes. And so can you just tell us what you do for your position? With my coordinator, I get the equipment uh, for the entire crew, whatever they need, so that they make so we make sure that they can do their job. Um, I also handle rental cars. I handle all the insurance issues like loss and damage and workers' compensation. Um, I have uh, the great job of doing what's called a production report every morning, which is one large piece of paper front and back that basically tells the executives and the studio and anyone who wants to know what happened on set the previous day, every single thing that happened, uh, and when people arrived and when they left. And uh, I run a staff of production assistants and a production secretary every day to make sure that the crew and the office runs swimmingly, which is great. I also plan the parties, which is very fun. Nice, and uh, when did you join the show? Like what season? Season three was my first season. So last February, I got on. So what show did you work on beforehand, if you don't mind me asking, when you got this interview? Sure, I was on a show uh, on HBO called Wyatt Cenac's Problem Areas, which completely underrated show, if you ever get a chance to watch it. He does his the entire first season, I worked on the second season, but the entire first season is going in to deep analysis uh, of police brutality in America, which is, it's an amazing show. Absolutely, I'll check it out sometime after this interview and uh... When did you graduate from Ithaca College? Was it 2016 that you told us beforehand? Yep, 2016. Wow, so only four years later and you're working on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That's pretty incredible, just four years out of college. Thank you, yeah, it's been, I've been really lucky and, and it's been a really fun journey so far. So have you ever met the cast, like Rachel Brosnahan or anybody? Yeah, absolutely. I work with them uh, every now and then, but we see them on set, we see them you know, they come in the office, at the parties, et cetera, but they're they're all really lovely. We have no divas, which is great. Yeah, and I'm also a huge fan of the stars. Like, I remember Rachel Brosnahan from House of Cards and Orange is New Black, and of course, I'm a huge fan of the show Monk, so Tony Shalhoub, I love, I love his character. Yeah, his character is amazing, and, and Tony's a really wonderful person. He, uh, he also has a dog named Scoop, Shalhoub. <laughs> he had his own chair one year, but he comes to set and he's 
the best. It's adorable. And, yeah. And so who is your favorite character on the show, if you don't mind me asking, and why? Um, I'd have to say Lenny, just because I love Amy's version of him and the way that Luke Kirby brings him to life. It's just like this amalgamation of the real Lenny Bruce and fantasy that's in Midge's world. Um, and I'm sorry to say that I didn't know that he was a real person until the end of the second season, which like so embarrassing to say, but the way that his historic comedic sets like come into play during the show is, and that they fold into the narrative is really awesome. So. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. notice you, I did not know Lenny Bruce was a real person. Really? <laughs> I didn't know. You didn't know, did you know before this interview or did you know? Or you oh no, I, I know like while watching the show, I did not know that oh, he was okay. a real person. I found out later. Yeah, yeah, so that's why the line, the line at the end of the fifth episode this season really hit me hard where he says, before I'm dead. I don't know any yeah, know. plot coming up, but like that line, I was just like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, it's tragic if you know what happened to the real, like the real, right. real Lenny Bruce. Right, and, yeah. And in the emails, you said you wanted me to talk about that season two finale with his performance. Um, I think yeah. it's pretty tragic because, you know, it's often reality that sometimes you either have to do a full-time job or have a family. Like, it's very hard to choose between the two of them. Yeah, and it was such a big realization for Midge. Um, and I think that's why she goes back to Joel in that moment. But the Lenny Bruce performance to me was so significant. It was the way even that the crew did it, the set is almost exactly what the performance was because you can actually find that full performance of the actual Lenny Bruce on YouTube and uh, Luke memorized the entire thing. He only did a portion of it but and I'm hearing I'm giving this story secondhand from one of our assistant directors but he memorized the entire performance and did it for the crew and he only did a portion of it on screen so it's like knowing that, seeing it, and seeing what effect it had on the characters was just so cool to me. What did you think about it? I thought it was incredible now that you say that he memorized the pretty much the entire thing. And yeah. he, he's just a great actor and it just really hit me in the gut. Yeah, yeah. I also am huge with music in, in TV and when they play the zombie song at the end, when her and Joel get back together. Yes. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, and so I want to talk about the set since you mentioned that. So how much of the filming is done at actual locations and how much of it is done on an actual set? I, this is just an estimation, but I'd say it's about 50-50. We have, uh, you know, living sets uh, at our stage at Steiner Studios in Brooklyn. We have um, the Weissman apartment lives there, Gaslight, Susie's apartment. Um, for this season, we had... Uh, the Button Club, Joel's Club, and the basement where the illegal gambling was going on, and Joel's apartment. Those are just some of the sets. I think we, we built a couple others like the subway and, and stuff like that, but we also have other locations that we return to, um, like the Stage Deli is actually shot at a shutdown diner on the Upper West Side. Um, I actually live like five blocks from it, which is really funny, but oh, nice. um, yeah, it's it's shot in what used to be Artie's Delicatessen and they redress it to look like it's 1960. But yeah, I'd say it's about 50-50. Our location department is amazing and they have such an eye for finding 
streets that could possibly be from 1960, especially with New York. You know, a lot of things haven't yeah. changed. So, uh, yeah, I'd say about 50-50. I'm just wondering, was Catskills filmed at the actual Catskills or was that a set or a green screen? That was actually in Binghamton. Uh, oh. or, uh, yeah, it was in Binghamton, New York. I think it's a smaller town deposit, New York, um, at an actual uh, camp, which is really cool. They went in and the crew went up for, I think, two or three weeks and just redressed the entire place to look like Maisel and did it. It was nice. like summer camp for them that year. I wish I was on the crew at that time, but I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And so two of my friends, uh, Sammy and Emily, have the same question. So how are the long scenes filmed in one shot, basically? It So it totally depends on the shot, but I can tell you it takes, it's like a dance. It takes a lot of preparation, a lot of rehearsal. Um, for example, like, you remember when they come to the Fountain Blue at the beginning of the fifth episode? Uh, that was one of our camera guys walking with a steady cam, and then he attaches it to a crane as he enters the Fountain Blue, and the crane goes up in the Fountain Blue, comes around, and he takes it off the crane and finishes the scene. So that took a lot of preparation, a lot of rehearsal. And it's kind of the same thing with like the synchronized swimming scene. They had an 11 person camera crew to be able to lift that camera up, go underwater, and then come back up and do the full above scene. So those shots take a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of rehearsal. And uh, we have the best DP in the business, in my opinion, David Mullen, um, and awesome directors to make it happen. So, yeah. Wow. My friend Tyler asks, what's your experience on working on a Paladino show where the creator is known for having a certain production style versus working on other shows where it's less of a single creative voice? Yeah, that's a really good question because the Paladinos do have this really specific vision. The thing is with the crew, we all adore the Paladinos and everyone is at the top of their game. Pretty much everyone on the crew has worked with them before. Uh, and know exactly what it takes to make their vision come to life. It's a lot of, you know, every episode we have a couple weeks of prep and we go through meetings between uh, the camera people, lighting, everything like that to make sure that it's exactly what their vision is. And that's the same thing for any show, but for the Paladino specifically, it's very detailed. Other shows, it's, it's interesting for me because I worked on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and that was a lot of different directors coming in. Um, and kind of a different experience every single time. With these guys, with the Paladinos, we know uh, their vision because they're in every single part of the production. Yeah, and ha have you ever watched Gilmore Girls or any other previous Paladino shows? Yes, I love Gilmore Girls. <laughs> yeah, have you? It's on my list. Right now I'm watching New Girl. Oh, great show. Yeah. And uh, you worked on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I didn't know that. That's incredible. I love that show. Yeah, it's it, I, again, it was another show that I was a huge fan of before I got on, which is the best experience. Um, I worked on the last season. Did you watch Maisel before you joined the crew in season three? Yes, I was obsessed. I was so, so into the show. And again, it was one of those things where I never thought that I would be on the crew for it. It's one of those far-fetched shows like you know, I love Succession too, and it's like, I can't even imagine working on it, but it's here in New York. And Maisel, like when the chance came, I jumped at it. Yeah, I, I would jump at that too. I mean, it's such an awesome opportunity to join the show. 
Yeah, yeah, and such a great group of people. I know I, I've said that before, but it's like, we really are like a family. It's great. So I want to get to the time period. So the show begins in 58 and season three is 60, 61, somewhere like that. So why do you think the time period is so significant for the story? It was a huge time for the nuclear family, right? And wives, especially white Jewish women, were supposed to be the perfect housewives. They were supposed to be home with their children. If they were ever working, it was very little and they had a nanny or a caretaker. It's such a huge feat for her to be a divorced woman doing this job that is so not supposed to be for a woman at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what's so significant about that time period, especially. I feel like uh, even today, you know, we have more female comedians like Schumer, uh, Samantha Bee, but it's still a white male dominated industry, I think, comedy. Totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, women are still breaking in. They're still like trying to forge a place for themselves in a male dominated space. And that's, that's why I think it's so relevant to women today and why it's been so popular. Is that one of the reason, is that the reason why I think it's taken off? because of how it depicts women or do you think there are other reasons i think that's definitely one of them but it's also a beautiful show it's so well done and so um you can tell how much time people put into the show uh it's so well written amy sherman palladino and dan palladino are, are writing geniuses in my opinion and uh and the actors i think it's the chemistry and how midge is represented and how this world is represented that really brings people in Absolutely. So are there any other issues or stereotypes or what have you depicted in the show during the 50s and 60s that are still prevalent today in 2020? One of the big storylines this, this year was Shy Baldwin. And mm -hmm. I think that his story is still very relevant. It's like the pressure of being a performer and having a public and private image, um, finding people you trust, everything like that is something that I really I really, really like to see on screen. I just want to say about the season three finale, um, I didn't connect the Judy Garland shoes and what that implied until the very end. Yeah. Because I was like, oh my God. Yeah, it was, it was such a big wake up call for Midge. Um, and it was really heartbreaking to see. So I don't really have any other questions left. So do you have any final comments about what it's like to work on the show and maybe what people can expect going forward. I have to say like, you know, if anyone interested in the industry is, is listening, then um, know that it's, it's a lot of hard work, but it really is worth it in the end. As a Maisel family, we spend, you know, 12 plus hour days together every day for months. And uh, a lot of people are working so hard to bring this type of content, which is really great. I'm really looking forward to the fourth season whenever whenever that comes out. Um, and again, everybody appreciates you and the cast and crew, everybody involved with creating this awesome show. I mean, to be honest, um, I've wanted to watch the show for a couple of years. Um, I believe in 2017, it won so many awards. That's when I first heard the name, but I wasn't really a streaming person until a few years later in college when I finally decided to watch it for a class assignment, you know, Fiction Field, Production One. I tried a paper on it. So that's where I started watching the show. And it's it's an incredible show. That's all I can say. My family, my family loves it. We watch it a lot together. 
Well, that's awesome. Thank you. I'm I'm so glad you got a chance to watch it. And I just have to ask, like, what drew you to it? Other than like the award-winning stuff and and the class assignment, what draws you to the show? I think it's just um, like I, I love shows that are about the underdog, basically. And I feel like it's just such an important social commentary about the 50s and 60s and how women were treated and considered subordinate to men. And it's just a unique story. And I read that Paladino partially based it off of her own father's experiences um, in yeah. the 50s and 60s. So I feel like it's just a very important story to tell. And I don't know, it's just one of those shows that is super um, telling about the times and it's realistic, but it's also super funny. That's the thing. Like it, it balances it beautifully. So that's what I love so much about the show. That's awesome. I'm so glad you like it. And it's, it's to me, like I said, I was a fan before. So it's just, I think it's a really wonderful show and I hope it brings a lot of people joy. That's the point, right? Yeah. And I have a final question, if you don't mind me asking. So, you know, we have the COVID-19 pandemic right now and there are a lot of people worried about not being able to find work in the industry and they're understandably they're ups, they're upset or concerned so as somebody who's worked in the industry for a couple of years now would you have any words of advice or encouragement to those particular groups of people especially with covid right now the best thing you can do is is be a swiss army knife and learn as much as you possibly can um because there are new departments being created, there are new positions being created and everything like that, and everyone is kind of on their toes. So if you can learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, that's something that's seriously gonna come in handy. And right now, you know, I know everyone is struggling. I mean, I am too, it's, it's a really tough time, but things will eventually clear up and New York will return. All right, Elena De Lucia, thank you so much for agreeing to be on my podcast, especially since you know, you've been pretty busy with The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and like you said, with COVID-19 kind of throwing the world off. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Ben. I really appreciate it.